Hey there, it's Carrie Holt, and we wanted to let you know that this is going to be our last podcast episode of season three before we take a sabbatical in the month of August. This has been a regular pattern since we started this podcast in 2020 because we want to model and not just speak that it's important to take a season of rest as a disability or special needs mom. There won't be any new content in August, but feel free to go back, listen to your favorite episodes, maybe catch up on those that you missed, and we look forward to kicking off season four with you on September 5th. Welcome to Take Heart. Our goal is to offer encouragement, give hope and insight so you can flourish in your journey as a special needs mom. All of our resources, including an entire written transcript of this episode, is available on our website at takeheartspecialmoms.com. There are also links to anything we mention in the show notes of this episode. So I'm here today with Kathy Lorzel from the Allender Center. She is an author, speaker, a story work coach, and she's co-written a book with Dr. Dan Allender called Redeeming Heartache. So thank you so much, Kathy, for being a guest on the Take Heart podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So interestingly enough, in the month of March of this year, we kind of dove into a conversation, Sarah, Amy, and I, about the importance of seeing a counselor. And as a special needs mom, I just kind of shared my experience in my journey with story work and the workshops that I've done through the Allender Center. Um, But if someone has never heard of story work or that idea of trauma-informed narrative, can you just break that down a little bit for us? Sure. Uh, You know, the basis of of story work is the idea that whatever is manifesting, whatever struggles we're having in our current life. Um, it's all directly, our response to it is all directly related to how we learned to um, shift our needs according to what was available to us as kids. And so, you know, there are so many people who are struggling currently who feel like, gosh, you know what, I've, I had a a quote unquote fine childhood, right? Right. Um, Or, you know, they've had really difficult childhoods, but they feel like their, their job is to just kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and try to just become a better person, um, and all of that is fine, but what's what we've realized is that it actually doesn't really work that way. And for us to really be able to live out of more whole, healed lives currently and be able to handle really difficult things in our present life, there may be things that we need to go back into and um and heal that that were original wounds back in our past that that were not dealt with well. So, you know, so many of us have little T traumas. So when we talk about trauma work, we talk about little T trauma, which are more nuanced, smaller things like, you know, a lot of paper cuts over a long period of time can do a lot of damage. Um, We're more used to talking about the big T traumas that are more obvious. um, But our, our work is to go back into both and really be able to, to, look into those stories and understand what we may have needed back then that we didn't get in order to heal from some of those things in order for us to be able to have more healed ways of relating in the present. Yeah. And I love how you talk about the little T's and the big T's because I think we dismiss mm-hmm. so much or I've heard many people say, well, you know, it wasn't my parents' fault or 
just how it's not blaming to name the harm that's been done to you. Right. Could you expand a little bit more on that idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a great point. Because I think people do get stuck. None of us want, especially when we're so aware of our own faults and failures, yes. <laughs> especially as moms, <laughs> right? Like, you know, the idea of like our kids then looking back at their childhood and like talking about all the ways we failed them is terrifying. But the reality is we all live in a broken world. Um, we live east of Eden. We, yeah. we live outside of perfect connection with God, self, others, and the earth. That's just the world we live in. Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of beauty and goodness, and we all fail one another. Right. All of us. Yeah. And, and we're meant for Eden. We're meant for perfect connection. And so anything that is different than what we were meant for is going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to impact. And, and I think that that's to be expected. And so, but we love our parents. We also don't want to be exposed ourselves as parents. And so we tend to minimize and not want to look at it because we feel like that's actually being kind or being loyal or not exposing. Um, when in reality, it just keeps us bound to unaddressed heartache and trauma that's actually wreaking havoc in, in our lives. And so, you know, when I, when I look at that, um, you're actually doing yourself and your family a disservice by trying to hide Mm. or trying to, to do workarounds so that you can avoid what was actually really painful. And there, there's actually more love, more connection, more goodness that can happen through being more honest about the impact of harm. Yeah. Um, then wanting to sweep it under the rug. And so, you know, I often look at it as like a, a lake where, you know, we're, we're on the surface of the lake and each time something difficult has happened where we haven't been able to address it well. It's like a, a toxic barrel that we, mm. we anchor to a weight. We put it down onto the bottom of the surface of, of our little lake of our lives. And, and then we can be on the surface and going, well, we're, we're great. We're fine. Yeah. It's no big deal. But eventually, you know, the barrels start to rust and they start to leak. And then we start to see fish coming to the surface that are dead or smells that are coming out or the ecosystem around the lake is starting to, to sour. And, and we're like, we don't understand why we have this beautiful lake. Um, well, there are these things that we need to go back to release, get it out of our lake, get it out of our system. And, and our bodies are incredible. They're able to work through traumatic situations if yeah. we're given the resources and the care that we need to work through it. And oftentimes that's language or just someone saying, Hey, this is what you're going through. It's really hard. There's no way out. Right. But, you know, as a parent, like, can I give you a hug? Can I tend to you? Can I care for your heart in this moment? Can I tune to your face and see you? Yeah. We're, we're capable of dealing with a lot of really difficult things. Yeah. But when we're, they're not dealt with and they're pushed under the surface, they can, they can cause a lot of damage. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me one year, my son had a wound from a surgery that he had and they could have just put a bandage over the top of it, but instead it was healing from the inside out. They put this silver dressing on it and a wound back. And and I think that's the equivalent to this is we need healing from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So I know you have co-written a book with Dr. Dan Allender called Redeeming Heartache. And we have a book uh, that has just came out May 9th called The Other Side of Special. And it's dealing with the emotions that a mom experiences as a special needs parent. And 
this summer, we wanted to feature authors that books have had a huge impact on me. And this book and the work from the Allender Center has had a huge impact on me. I love story. I've always been drawn to story. And I'm a bit of a talker. (laughs) Um, So could you share just a little bit about the premise of Redeeming Heartache? I think one of the things that you just mentioned is the language. And I love the language that you that you both give in the book to the orphan, uh, the stranger, and the widow, mm-hmm. and how that relates to our pain. And I just, I, it's just a beautiful archetype of of our pain. Yeah. Well, the the hope of the book is one to just uh, allow all of us to to realize none of us have escaped harm. Yeah. Um, and that that harm has impacted us. And that we actually need to go back and remember and allow ourselves to feel the heartache um, in order to be able to grieve and feel the heartache of, of the present lives we're living. And I think that's especially important for your audience because, you know, any moms with special needs kids, like, I, you know, I have two boys, a six and a nine-year-old, and they are, you know, healthy and well-adjusted and whatever it is. It, it is so exposing to be a mom no matter what. Right. Not to mention if you are having to deal with medical crisis after medical crisis or emotional, um, you know, difficulties that, that are just, they're never fixable. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, parenthood will bring you to your knees regardless. It's true. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it does. It's, just, it's brutal. It's brutal. Our kids reveal to us all the places that we have not had enough healing yet because, and, and it's heartbreaking because they're the thing we love the most. And, and our hearts are broken when we see our impact or our, our lack of, of capacity um, to love them in the way that we really desire to love them. And so, um, so I, you know, I say I say all that one because I think my heart is just so open and um, oh, just tender towards towards your your audience, knowing what what you guys have to bear every day. Yeah. Um, and the hope of the book is to both allow us to understand that there is hope to be able to handle the the heartache of our current lives if we're willing to open up open up ourselves to understand that the way we're dealing with it is directly connected to how we were taught to deal with disappointment and heartache in our past. Yeah. And so what the book goes into is it helps us um give it gives some categories and language because oftentimes what what keeps us from healing from trauma in our past is the lack of language, the lack of categories. We just didn't have parents who were able to settle themselves down enough to say, "Hey, you know, this was a really difficult situation that we, that you were just in. Um, uh, You may be feeling upset. You may be feeling overwhelmed. You may feel anxious or mama was really angry with you. And that may have really, you know, been difficult to see my face. Like very rarely do we have parents who are willing and able to go back and help us understand why we're upset. Well, when you don't have a parent who can do that trauma gets lodged in your body and it doesn't leave. 
Um, it's, it stays for a long time. And so what we did with the book was we picked three different core wounds. One is the orphan, one is the stranger, and one is the widow and, and help people understand, um, how those things manifest in your current life in terms of how you're relating to the world and then help you link that back to where that may have stemmed from, from your past. And so the first one is, is the orphan archetype. Um, the idea that at some point the orphan wound realized that no one was coming. Mm. Um, that, that for the most part, they're on their own. And that doesn't mean that, um, they, their needs weren't taken care of, but they knew at some level their emotional needs, their deeper needs, um, the need for really deep care and attunement was just not available to them to the degree that they needed. And so they adjusted to only need what they could give themselves. Yeah. Um, a lot of us are still living out of this wound because we, you become very self-sufficient and that creates a lot of safety because you don't actually need to be vulnerable to what, uh, what you need from other people. You can be, um, a closed circuit yeah. and, you know, but that also comes with a lot of limitations because eventually you, you do actually need more than you can give yourself. Yeah. And especially especially for moms who are caring for special needs kids. Um, you know, you, you are having to give the, your whole self all the time. And if you don't have other people who are caring for you, or if that's not available to you, um, you can get into devastating situations really quickly where you're giving more than you're getting. Yeah. Um, and, and you reach your limit um, where yeah. you either have to shift how much you're giving out or you have to start searching for um, other places where you can be receiving care from other people. But that's a very vulnerable situation to be in yeah. if part of your safety structure is that you don't want to need from right. other people. Yeah. And I can see that just even in my own life, my tendency to, uh, you don't feel like you want to be a burden on other people, right. especially because your journey is an ongoing thing for the most part throughout your child's entire life. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to be very much moms who pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and don't share with other people. And it, what, and then what, what we end up doing is isolating ourselves, which Absolutely. is so dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and I would imagine like, as you look at orphan, um, is that, that it seems like it feels familiar. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Because mm -hmm. in some ways, the interesting thing is that I, well, I identify with orphan and the, and the widow probably the most mm -hmm. is that I would imagine that, you know, I've grown up in church and I've had a strong faith ever since I was a child, but the specific thing that I prayed for in my son not to happen happened. Hmm. And I think there's a feeling among special needs moms that they have been orphaned or widowed by God. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Well, and and that realization of, you know, at every um every limit in your own body and soul gets met when I think you have a special needs kiddo. Yeah. And and you're also meeting the limit of 
the structures of, of the care structures of, you know, even if you find that you, that your child needs a specific type of therapy, well, now you're on a wait list and it takes, you know, 20 different phone calls to get the care that they need. Yeah. And then you have one more appointment or one more thing that now you have to caretake. Um, and it's, it's almost impossible not to reach your limits and then to realize that the people around you, um, you're reaching their limits too. So what do you do? Yeah. When the care you really do need really isn't available. Right. And, and you're turning to God and, and saying, well, now what? Yeah. How do I stay tender? How do I stay vulnerable? How do I, um, you know, even deal with the fact that, that what's needed is more than I can give? Yeah. It's, it's a very lonely place. It is. And it's definitely interesting because one of the tensions that I have found myself in through the years, my son has been in the hospital multiple times. He's had 60 surgeries in about the mm. first 15 yes. years of his life. And not each of those were an individual admission, but but still we were, it, we've been inpatient at least 50 to 60 times. And I just, you find yourself as a special needs mom being cynical and just waiting for the other shoe to drop because you're, it's self-protection. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we talk about a lot in that orphan chapter. Yes. (laughs) Like, because even when you do get care or someone does show up for you, there's a sense of, well, that's not going to last. Right. Um, And yeah, and that's, and that's devastating. Yeah. So you're yeah. protecting yourself and your kiddo from a world that is cruel, unpredictable, and um, and and what we need isn't actually available to us. Like, how right. in the world do you stay in that space and not just fall apart or become so hardened? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know one of the biggest things that I learned even before working through story work, my son was around five years old, and I think I was... Uh, I think I ended up having a blow up in a library <laughs> with a librarian over books that my toddler daughter, who's younger than my son with special needs, had like ruined or something. And we had just come out of a five-day inpatient hospital stay with another surgery on the schedule. And I remember thinking, this isn't about the library books. This mm-hmm. is about something deeper. And I felt like God was finally revealed to me, you're grieving Mm-hmm. And gr- the grieving cycle is going to be an ongoing part of your journey. It's something that I am passionate about, special needs moms, understanding and recognizing and naming because there's so much power in just identify. There was so much. It was like, you know, the sky opened and the sun came out when I, the Lord just kind of showed me this. And I've learned to lean into lament. And I know that's a huge part of story work and it's a huge part of that book. So could you talk a little bit about lament? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've been reading this book for years now. I keep going back to it because I can't stop and it's not my book. So I feel fine about talking about it. (laughs) No, um, it's called The Wild Edges of Sorrow. Okay. uh, By Francis Weller. And it's, it's really an invitation into the 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 beauty and the process and the need for grief. Mm. Um and and he has several premises and you know one is that we will never be loved the way that we were really meant to be loved. Yeah. Um and 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 I think it's so important because part of of I think what what happens for each of us is that when we meet our adult lives um they're so different 
than what we had an imagination around, yeah. who we thought we would be in the midst of it. You know, when people imagine or fantasize about getting married or having kids or the career or or the church they want to be involved with, so much of our life is then having to reconcile the reality that that is not what we're living. Yeah. And it's so much harder. Um, it's so much more disappointing and and like you said, you know, the the very thing that you begged God to to not have happened is the very thing that happened. Well, what do you do with that anger? Right. With with that resentment. Yeah. And and then what do you do with with the fact that you're still, you know, looking at this precious kiddo that yeah. you that has your heart and yet you're so deeply disappointed and upset by the fact that this just is not the way it was meant to be. Yeah. And now this is the rest of your life. There's no escaping it, you know? And, and so what do you do with a heart that just needs to sob, that needs to, um, own the fact that, that we're so, um, undone by the life that's in front of us. And we really don't know if we're going to be able to, to keep going. Yeah. And I think so many people are terrified of grief because we're afraid that that's going to mean that we're going to give up, but it's the opposite. Yeah. I think when we are able to sink down into those places of truly allowing ourselves to weep, to feel the, um, the disappointment, the, the, the horror, um, the resentment, it actually allows us to release those things. Yeah. And allow them to move through our bodies so that we can, um, come to the other side. And, and because we're terrified, like we don't want to tolerate those feelings. Those, those feel like I, I can't feel this. I can't feel resentment for my child. I can't feel like I wish this wasn't my life. I'm not allowed to feel these things. But I think the beauty of lament, and I think even what God invites us into the Psalms is that, is that we're allowed to feel all of those things, say them out loud, be angry at God. Um, and, and then also allow the comfort of God to be on the other side of that. But if we're not willing to admit the emotions and let them move through our bodies, then we can never get to comfort. Um, yeah. We'll always just say boxed up. And, and that, and I think that that just keeps us from being able to, um, to experience goodness and, and comfort in the land of the living. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the side of the healing mm-hmm. and the the prophet priests and the king and queen. Can you explain a little bit about that and what and even maybe dive a little bit into what does it require for us to get there to this redeeming of the heartache that we experience? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, if the first if the first stage is is admitting that we have heartache. Yeah. And that it's it, that's impacted us. Yeah. Right. Um, and that we didn't necessarily get everything that we needed. Um, and, and that that's shifted our style of relating. That's shifted how we operate in the world. Then we get to start to understand, um, our impact. You know, so for if, if we're sticking with the orphan, um, when you, when you're able to understand, I, I feel safer in a closed system where I don't need anyone. Right. You can then recognize that you're actually meant to need people, but you also then have to bear the grief of knowing that perfect love, perfect connection is not 
going to happen this side of heaven. Yeah. But then how do you ask for it anyways? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. How do you bear the reality of living in a fallen world without turning to cynicism and pure resentment? Um, And I think part of, of the way that we do that is through grief and then also allowing ourselves to imagine that there's more that we're meant to create and participate in here on earth to create beauty and goodness here. Yeah. And so when we talk about the healing of the orphan, stranger, and widow, it's that sense of, can you understand and tolerate and um, sit in the fact that you've, you've encountered harm that's impacted you? Yeah. But now, as you recognize that, can you also lean into what our calling is? You know, and so um, the the priest, prophet, and king and queen come from the biblical categories of the those stations of leadership from the Old Testament, but also then um, that Jesus says he's the perfect um, uh, representation of the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect yeah. king and queen, and that we're meant to move into those places as we heal. And so the priest is really the part of us that that is able to tolerate and lean into what's true about our stories. So each of us can be a priest, um, you know, especially as, as we encounter one another lingering in our stories of harm, lingering in the places of saying, how are you? Yeah. Are you okay? Um, Can I sit with you? Can I make you a meal? Can I show up? Can I help you ground? Can I weep with you? Can I be with you in the dirt of your life? That's, that's the healing. So as the orphan, becomes more aware that they have been harmed and left, they then get to help other people join. Yeah. And they get to invite people back um, into connection, back yeah. into um, being together. And and so the priest part of us is the part that, that um, helps people um, connect to their grief, to their sorrow, to their suffering. And, and is able to hold that space without allowing it to collapse. Um, the prophet part is the part of us that, that, that sees the heartache of the world and also invites us to be able to contend with that, to believe that there's more, um, that will expose injustice and heartache and harm and, and also calls us out of the depths to say, Hey, rise up. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't really talk about this, but the stranger wound, is the one where, you know, the part of you that sees all the destruction, the heartache of the world, um, your sight, your capacity to see what's wrong in the world has been rendered really dangerous. And yeah. people want you to stop talking. You know, so even those of you who have had to advocate for your kids, you're automatically in that stranger profit category all the time. Right. Yeah. Because you're seeing what's wrong with the systems. You're seeing what's wrong, you know, with how things are happening around you. And you have to step into that and use your voice. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a hard part. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized I did, I did get a little bit ahead of myself. So I'm glad you went back to stranger because it's funny because when I read that part in the book, I thought, well, I don't really identify that much mm-hmm. of this piece, at least from childhood experiences. But you are so right in that we are raising kids and my son is a teenager now he's 16 where once he's gotten out of that cute stage and he's not a contributing member of society mm-hmm. we're fighting a lot of prejudice and mm-hmm. just all of that and and honestly it's happened 
our kids' whole lives because we've had to fight for whether it's the things that we need or just for somebody to understand mm-hmm. um, where our kids coming from. And, you know, we've had mistakes happen in the hospital. I, I, I've i never been able to, in a hospital situation, let my guard down because I'm always right. educating. I'm always, right. you know, giving giving them, advocating, giving them the ideas of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Could you expand just a little bit more about the stranger wounds? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the stranger, where that comes from as a, as a kiddo, um, there are some of us, um, and, and it's actually not as much of my story. Dan writes as part of the yeah, book. He he, yeah, he does. Yeah. And it's, it's great. Cause he's, he's far more, um, of that stranger as a kid, but the stranger within a family ends up being the one who sees, um, the, the beauty of the world, um, the, the, the way the world is supposed to be. And they have started to expose because they're also then seeing the difference between how things should be and how things are. Yeah. And so the stranger within a family will, will be seen as the rebel or the dramatic one, or why can't you just be more like your older brother? Why do you always have to, you know, see the, the worst in everything or right? It's, and yeah. so those stranger wounds really get relegated to, um, to like, why can't you just be, uh, quiet or submissive like the rest of us? Why do you want more? Mm-hmm. And, and what happens for those, that stranger wound is that kid then gets identified as the troublemaker, yeah. the problem, and they get kicked out. Nobody wants the stranger in their camp because the stranger is always, um, you know, wreaking havoc and exposing. <laughs> and, you know, so the, the stranger is the kid who, you know, is in the car on the way to church on a Sunday morning and mom and dad are in a big fight. And, and everyone knows that as soon as you get out of the car, you are all meant to put on a happy face. You're meant right. to go inside because dad is an elder and mom's singing in the choir and, you know, <laughs> yes. and, right. You know, and yeah. so you have that, you have the stranger kid in the car who's looking at all of that and saying, no. Like, no, I'm not going to go in and just put on a happy face. So they, you know, are pissed off. They're sitting in the back. They have their arms folded and mom and dad are super embarrassed. And they're just like, why do you have to be this way? Right. And so instead of the parents dealing with the fact that they are in a dysfunctional relationship and need to work, you know, on what's going on, right? all the energy goes towards the stranger kiddo because Mm. they're exposing the reality of what's going on in this family. Yeah. Right. And so the way that that gets taken in is that child just feels like I don't belong. Yeah. I don't belong. I'm broken. Why can't I just ignore it? Like everyone else does, but, th- but they're also the ones who are feeling um, in mm. technicolor, the reality of the world, both the beauty of the world and the brokenness. And so yeah. th- it's easy to see how that stranger is actually really wrestling with their prophetic gifting. Yeah. Because the prophets are the ones who are the poets, the musicians, the artists, the people who are both like inspired by what they see in the world. They want to create beauty, but they're also really connected to all that's deeply broken. Yeah. And you can become really cynical and just want to blow everything up, or you can choose to actually believe like, no, I saw something that was good, but I also need to learn how to, how to, um, settle 
that part of me that sees so clearly knowing that not everyone is going to be ready for that. Yeah. And so how do I um, grow my profit with wisdom and kindness and beauty and, and um, delight in the world while not losing sight of, of the fact that I'm seeing something that's true, but I need to be able to, um, Oh, honor my sight and honor the heartbreak that it is to see the world so clearly and know that that really sets you apart from the rest of the world and, and frankly makes you hated. Yeah, that's so good. I can see a little bit of the special needs mom in all of that because a lot of us are taking our heartache and doing something beautiful with it. We are mm-hmm. trying to advocate and educate and change change the way that our society minimizes people who are quite different from Mm -hmm. everyone else, whether it's the way they look or the way they behave or their mental and emotional. Yeah. So let's, let's switch gears to the widow and dive into that one a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So the, the widow, um, the basis of the widow is that they, um, had delight, good, goodness, connection, um, and, and somehow throughout their story, there was death and loss, um, and, and something that they had trusted or connected to or given their heart over to. Now they understand the reality of death. Yeah. Um, of loss. Something was taken from them. And that, and that feels very, a very broad, you know, category, but let me land it in, in a, in just a, a quick little story. Um, you know, oftentimes the, the widow heart for a little kid, um, will be around, uh, let, let's just use the idea of divorce. You know, like I, they, they've sunk into mom and dad are together. We're solid. We're okay. This is the way our life looks. And then all of a sudden their world is shattered and they realize mm-hmm. that, you know, dad was having an affair and he's now left and gone to be with this other family. And now she's left with like a, a destroyed, distraught mom. Yeah. And so she's now left with this heart where she knows that she trusted. She, she connected, she loved deeply and she believed that this is, this was the way that things were going to be. And now that's been shattered. Yeah. And so the heart of the widow is really that sense of you understand that death isn't, is inevitable or part of loving. And so now what will you do with that? Will you choose to just keep your heart hard because you never want to be vulnerable to that sort of, of heartache again? Right. Or will you choose to grieve that and then love again, even though you understand that, that death is inevitable? You know, that heartache is there and that even under the best circumstances that your, your heart, even if it's vulnerable and good, will still receive, um, heartache and and be betrayed and and so that that widow is really in that place of what will i decide to do now that i know um and will i keep my heart open and vulnerable and and i think that that's i mean i'm thinking of your story yeah and that idea of like okay now i understand like you had the hope of a baby and the hope of a of a life that you had an imagination for and now you understand um that this other life that happened instead yeah. of the life that you had thought and trusted and just kind of gone blindly into of like, this is going to be great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then do you turn your heart cold and keep it protected or do you keep it open and vulnerable and, and connect, even though you now know what's possible on the other side, the heartache and the heartbreak. Yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners are facing that in two different ways. One, we have a lot of moms who 
went into adoption with this beautiful picture of, you know, love will change everything, which Mm -hmm. love does in some ways, but not always when there is in uterine trauma and you have reactive attachment disorder. We have a lot of listeners who have kids with that behavioral piece. And then I also think on the other side of that is families who my son is the third of four. And a lot, one question I get asked a lot is what made you decide to have another child after? Mm -hmm. And because like you said, now I can't unsee or unknow almost every diagnosis that's in the book or everything that can go wrong. My son was prenatally diagnosed in utero at 20 weeks, but you know, I have friends that their children were too, and they were diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy or uh, Sarah, my co-host, her son has Duchenne and uh, he was eight. So what do we do when we are facing we we know what life really looks like, <laughs> you <right>. know. Yes. <laughs> what do yes. we do? Yes. Well, and I think the other piece of widow is that once you understand what death looks like, there are a lot of other people who don't actually want to be around you. Yes. Because yes. you show them that that life doesn't have to work out. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I think they feel like it's contagious, like it's catching. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So there's even more isolation then around that widow wound. Right. And so what, what the, you know, what the book asks you to look at is not just, um, you know, where that's playing out right now, but also where, where you learned that from your past or why you're reacting yes. in this way based on where you learned that, um, back there. And I think to be, to understand the widow and then to love and to create and, and to do it anyways is one of the most courageous, admirable things Mm. because to know death, to know heartache and to then know like that's not going to be the end of the story. Right. And that you, you face death and you, and you lived through it in some ways. Um, allows you to love in a way that is more full, that is less afraid, that is more honest, right? And yeah. there is something stunning about that. Um, yeah. But again, that scares the crap out of people who don't want to acknowledge <laughs> right. that life is fragile, right? Right. Yeah. And so you know, so so the healing of the widow is that sense of okay, you've you've seen, you've come to recognize there is death and and um marring and and jealousy and things that ruin in our worlds and and you've seen it and yet you've decided to create beauty anyways. Yeah. And that's the king and queen. Yeah. The king and queen is the one who sees the reality of the world and they choose to create boundaries, to create structures, to create um a table for people to come to. It, I think it's the equivalent of the Monday Thursday table with Jesus where you know Jesus knew that he was going to die the next day that that he was going to be betrayed that night by Judas and he sits and he eats. Yeah. And he loves them and he washes their feet. And he does it because he knows that death and betrayal are not the end of the story. And I think it's one of the most beautiful descriptions of the king is the one who who will sit and wash the feet of those he knows will deny him, will betray him, 
And he sits and eats bread and, and creates ritual and beauty for, for the table and invites them into life. Yeah. In the very face of death. And I think that is just, I know so many moms who have children with special needs who I think sometimes we just have this idea that we have to create beauty and be courageous in all these really big ways. But the truth is every day that they get up and they get their child up and they feed them or they run their feeding pump or they change their diaper or whatever part of care, or they step in and they're attuned to their child's needs, who is behaviorally going berserk, that they're creating beauty in their situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. I, I think, um, there's, there's nothing more holy than being able to understand that in the very, um, the least of these, the smallest moments that, and, and even knowing that when you lose it, when you lose your mind, when you flip your lid and, and you can then come back to yourself, you can center yourself and settle and understand your humanity. You can have grace for it. And then you can enter back in and repair that that is a holy moment um, that is only allowed when we both have grace and kindness for our own hearts and also understand the heartbreak of what's being required of us. And that yeah. it is, um, it, it would bring any person to their knees. And so when it brings you to your knees, will you offer yourself, um, the, the grace? Um, and the capacity to cry, to rage, to grieve, and then tenderly pick yourself back up and, and try again. And that's, that is a, that is a radical way of life that most people, um, would be, uh, would shy away from. And these, the women who are listening to this, like you all do this every day. Yeah. Um, and it is nothing less than heroic. And there's also grief of knowing like, this is not the life you chose. Um, and, and it's okay for you to have wished that this wasn't the life you were having to live. All of that is all true. Yeah. And I love the end of the book where Dr. Allender kind of dives into Jesus's crucifixion. And you mentioned that beautiful picture of Monday Thursday and just the separation and isolation that he felt from God and his grieving. I've always, always, uh, one of the things back to that story about me, you know, the Lord saying, Hey, this, this grieving cycle is going to be ongoing was reading that part in the garden of Jesus praying and saying, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Yeah, And I, I knew in that moment, sorry, I'm gonna get a little teary, but it's okay. Um, that if Jesus can pray, that this cut passes from him knowing he's God. He knows he has to face this for our redemption. I can lament and grieve mm-hmm. my situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a beautiful picture at the end of just lament and um, the redemption and that tension of, like you said, we're living east of Eden. But I also have the hope that my son's going to run in heaven. Yeah, that's right. You know, and play football with his brothers. Mm, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The 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 beauty and the brutality of this life. Yes. Um, 
can take your breath away. Yeah. And I think the holiest thing that any of us can do is live radically committed um, to, to the reality of, of what's true. Yeah. So any denial of suffering, any denial is not worthy of the life that we're living. Right. Right. Yeah. But also to not then be able to have an imagination of your boy yes. playing football and running with his brothers while also tending to his face and his body every day. Yeah. And his little heart that doesn't understand why his world looks the way that it does either. Right. Um, yeah. It brings you face to face with a God that I don't understand. Right. Um, but I can worship because the fact that he's, he's offered us a glimpse into the fact that he knows the suffering and the complexity of what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, and doesn't shy away from it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, it's probably time for us to wrap up. This was just <laughs> a beautiful conversation. We'll have to have you back on the podcast again. I think this book is just is so wonderful. So I recommend it to our listeners and, um, if people want to find you I on your website and where can they find you and learn more yeah. about story work and just this whole idea of redeeming heartache? Yeah. So you can, um, I have a website, kathylorzell.com that you can find. Um, and then you can also follow me on Instagram at kathy.lorzell. Uh, and so all of our upcoming events, um, we, I also see clients and do intensives. So if any of you really want to get some care, do some of your own story work, then yeah. that's available to you. Yeah. And I highly, highly recommend it. So if you have the space for that, please do it. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you.